Gracious God, may only your words be spoken and your words be heard. Amen. Over the course of the month of June, we have been repeating this passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians. The part of the passage, the part of the letter to the Galatians that we've been repeating is the part where Paul has been talking about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Taking a bit of a step back, it's important to remember that you could summarize the whole letter to the Galatians in Paul's expression early on, for freedom, Christ set us free. The letter to the Galatians explodes with good news. I've come to believe over the years that many worshipers, many people coming and going from church Sunday by Sunday, have a bit of anxiety about their relationship with God and that a lot of our anxiety comes from what is called works righteousness. Works righteousness, the belief that our separation from God needs to be addressed by or can be overcome by our own good belief or behaviors. And that's why if you happen to suffer from a belief in works righteousness, the best news that you can possibly hear is that it is not your works that save you. It is not our works that put us into permanent and right relationship with God. The good news is that our efforts at reaching God don't matter. It's been done for us. We didn't have anything to do with it. Now notice something. Notice that this focuses attention not on us and not even on the proclamation of the good news, but on the event itself of God reconciling humanity. And isn't that part of the reason that we have trouble accepting this good news? Because we quickly realize that we have nothing to do with our union with God, our salvation. We're not in control. And the thought, the thought that our merit, our efforts, contribute nothing to our salvation, offends our sense of self-sufficiency. It makes us uncomfortable to think that we have absolutely no control over a situation. That it is simply our faith in what God has done that matters. And it's not even our faith in what God has done that matters. It's not our faith in Jesus that matters. It's the faith of Jesus that matters. And that's why we don't have to worry whether our faith is large enough or strong enough. The amount of faith we have is not important. What or who we put our faith in is important. 
In other words, we can have all the faith in the world. We can have all the faith in the world in political theories or in politicians or in other people. We can have strong faith, deep belief in causes or creation or better education or religious practices. And all those things are good and God-given. And in all those good and God-given things, we and others may temporarily benefit. We can benefit from firmly held beliefs and honest endeavors. But those things and those people are unstable, easily collapsible foundations. They are gifts from God. They are even perhaps love notes from God. But gifts from God and love notes from God are meant to draw us into deeper love of God, love of neighbor, and love of self. The gift is not the same thing as the giver of the gift. We are not supposed to fall in love with the love note, but rather with the author of the love note. Put too much weight in those small g gods of political theories, politicians, people, causes, creation, education, religious practices. Put too much weight in them. Give them too much weight in your life, more than they are meant to bear, and they collapse. But on the other hand, we can have only the slightest amount of faith in the firm foundation of God, and that foundation will support us. The good news is we've been graciously accepted as living members of God. The good news is you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Again, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more or to make God love you less. Your status as God's beloved is assured. Again, not because of anything you have done or left undone in your work, but because of what God has done, because of God's work. Let that sink in. You can be sure, you can be certain of eternal life with God. And I don't just mean after this one. I mean here and now, beginning here and now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not the least bit arrogant to be confident that we are going to heaven and are agents of heaven on earth. Because again, it has nothing to do with you. You are reconciled with God. You are reconciled with God. You might already know that and feel it deep down. Or you might just be beginning to believe it. It doesn't matter. You are reconciled with God. You and God are at peace. There is harmony between you. And for freedom 
Christ set us free. So the question is, how are you going to use the freedom of that knowledge? And that is the point of the book of Galatians. Paul asks, are you going to abuse that freedom, misuse that freedom? Are you going to use that freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence? Or are you going to say, oh my God, if that is how I am loved, then I want to say thanks in every way that I can. I appreciate being accepted by God. And so I will be the good news that I have been given. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. And that's what Paul refers to when he says we should be led by the Spirit. Christians should live lives led by the Spirit. And Paul contrasts two kinds of life. One that is outside this life of grace, outside this life of freedom, the yoke of servitude, versus a life that's led by the Spirit. And Paul says with some exasperation to the Galatians, why would you be set free from bondage only to go back into slavery? Why would you be set free from the flesh? And the term that comes to us as, as the flesh has very little to do with skin or even our physical bodies. It's a probably best understood as self-centered existence. Why would you be set free from this self-centered existence only to go back to it? In the passage that we've been repeating, Paul describes a life that gratifies the desires of the flesh. A life that does not have the big G God at the center, but small g gods at the center. And because these small g gods, because these gifts from God, because these love notes from God are not meant to bear the weight that we put on them, they collapse. And so, Paul observes, a life that leans heavily on anything or anyone other than God, an individual Christian's life or the life of the faith community, a life that leans heavily on anything or anyone other than God inevitably will result not only in personal symptoms like alcohol abuse and lack of fidelity in our relationships, but idolatry. And I don't know of a better way to describe idolatry than falling in love with a love man. And, Paul says, this life will inevitably play itself out in a faith community itself, as it did in Galatia. There will be discord. There will be fits of rage. There will be selfish ambitions. There will be dissensions. There will be factions. There will be envy and strife. But what happens? What happens, Paul says? What happens when we, as individual Christians and as faith communities, put our faith, put our trust in God? What happens when, as individual Christians and as faith communities, we have God as our foundation, are rooted in God? What happens when we are rooted in God is that the fruits of the Spirit naturally grow in our lives. Our lives are more and more characterized by actions of love, not just feelings of love, but actions of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, 
generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we abide in, if we put our faith in God, the branch, the fruits of the Spirit come naturally, not by working harder, but naturally. In other words, the Christian moral life is based on the acceptance of a gift, not on self-mastery. It is for freedom that Christ says free. And that is good news indeed. 